Would you please take the Word of God and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, as you uh, turn there, we come here to the church at Antioch in Syria. Now, the reason why I say this is because in the very same chapter in Acts 13, uh, you have the city of Antioch uh, in Pisidia. And so these are two different. And so this is Antioch of Syria. Uh, we'll see it mentioned in um, Antioch of Pisidia in Acts 13, verse 14. But the church, when we come here to Acts chapter 13, we are reminded that the church that we read about in Acts 13 was established in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. So if you're there in Acts 13, notice back to chapter 11, just one page to your left, in verse 19, now when they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, now we know that's Acts chapter 7, Stephen preached before the Sanhedrin council at the end of chapter 7, he is stoned to death, and then in Acts chapter 8 you find intense persecution, and the Bible says though believers at Jerusalem were scattered all throughout Judea and Galatia and Cappadocia and so on, and they that were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So that's Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 11, those who are scattered as a result of the persecution that arose about Stephen in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, traveled, verse 19 of Acts 11, traveled as far as Phenus and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they had they were come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so the church at Antioch was established as a result of the persecution that happened in Acts chapter 7. Now the book of Acts, when we come to Acts chapter 13, the book of Acts turns the focus from primarily being the spotlight on the church at Jerusalem, to now the spotlight turning to the church in Antioch. It goes really from a focus on the ministry of Peter to now the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And really from Acts chapter 13 through the remainder of the book, we're going to follow the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. And so Acts chapter 13 and 14, as we'll study here in the next few weeks, documents Paul's first missionary journey. At the beginning of Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 3, he's going to be sent out of the church of Antioch. By the end of chapter 14, he comes back to Antioch, and uh, uh, they gather the church together in Antioch, and they report all that God had done on this, this first missionary journey. And so, it's an exciting uh, two chapters here. Chapter 13 and chapter four, 14 are going to be very exciting chapter because it's the first time you see purposefully a church launching out a missionary to start churches. Now, so far in the first part of Acts, it's, been, it's happened organically as a result of the persecution. But now the church in Antioch is going to purposefully send out the Apostle Paul to establish churches. And nobody would deny the importance of the church planning work of the Apostle Paul as we study here in the book of Acts. But before we study the work of Paul... We have to ask ourselves this following question. What do we find in Antioch that set in motion a great missionary movement? Because, by the way, we still enjoy the benefit of this missionary movement today. 
But the question is, what set it in motion? And really, Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, tells us what set all this in motion. So I think that this is a very important portion of Scripture for us to study. So notice Acts 13, verse 1. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and, and laid their hands on them, they sent them away, verse 4, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence sailed to Cyprus. I would like to bring your attention to the words we find in verse 2. The Holy Ghost speaks and he said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work. I'd like to preach on this expression, separated for the work. Separated for the work. Now I want us to think, and we'll, I'll touch on this again. There is no description at this point of what the work is. Now, we're going to study that work in chapter 13 and chapter 14. Now, I think we know because we've read through the book of Acts, it's the preaching of the gospel, but there's the details that are given as to what the work is. Now, keep in mind here, the Holy Ghost wants uh, Barnabas and Saul to be separated from what? From the church at Antioch, where they were currently serving, and he's called them to the work. Now go with me to chapter 14, chapter 14, and uh, notice with me in verse 26. So chapter 14, so this is the end of this first launching out, verse 26, And then sailed to Antioch, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God. So notice here, they come back to Antioch, where they were sent out of. And notice at the end of that, for, what's the next expression? The work which they fulfilled. So the work that the Holy Ghost sent them out to do, at the end of this, they fulfilled the work. Now we're going to go into the details of the work. What is it? And we find that summary in uh, chapter 14. Notice verse 20, uh, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, step number one, and had taught many, step number two, they return again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. Step number three, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Step number uh, three, and then step number four, and when they had ordained them elders in every church. So there is a summary right there of the work. In other words, they knew what the work was. It didn't have to, it, they didn't have to, uh, they, didn't, they didn't need to be uh, given the details of the work. They knew exactly what the work was. And when they come back, although every city they preached in, not everybody got saved. Some cities, one of them, they stoned and left Paul for dead outside of the city. And yet they come back and God says they fulfilled the work. You know, God has a work for this church in the world today. The work, I believe we know what the work is. But we have to get to the place where God says, a first-day Baptist church, 
They have fulfilled the work. And may that be our prayer. But before we get there, we have to deal with uh, really what is it that set in motion this great missionary movement, this great missionary work. And so these are preliminary things, but let me give you, I believe those are very important. What do we find in Antioch? Number one, this is what we find. We find, number one, and this may be basic, but it's important, we find a local congregation. Do you notice here what the Bible says? And often we read the Bible and we may just read through a sentence and really not think about what that means. But notice, now there were in the church that was at Antioch. So notice here, the first thing we find here when we think about a local congregation, first of all, we see the institution of the local church. Uh, this was a church, and what I mean by a church, that means it was a visible functioning church in Antioch of Syria. And so in other words, if you lived back then and you say, I want to go to Antioch, there was a group of believers that were gathered there in Antioch that had formed it together into a congregation that was a local church. And now it is important here because in the book of Acts, we find that the work of God is strictly connected to the church. Let me say that again. The, in the book of Acts, the work of God is strictly connected to the church. As a matter of fact, you will, find, you will not find the work of God taking place outside of the local church. And when we speak of the church, we are speaking of a local visible assembly of baptized believers who have voluntarily joined themselves together for a common purpose. Uh, now, that word voluntary is important. Nobody has been uh, uh, made to come. I didn't come and show up at your house this morning and say, you need to go to church. You came voluntarily and assembled yourself together. And so the purpose, what is the purpose then? That purpose, number one, more importantly, is to bring glory to God. But also to faithfully carry out the work of God. That's the purpose of the local church. And so here, it happens to be the church at Antioch. Earlier in Acts, it is a focus on the church uh, at Jerusalem. We even find in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, because of the persecution, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And so we find that when the persecution happened in Jerusalem, then you find churches then being established because of the believers that were persecuted and went everywhere preaching the word. And so here, uh, you have churches, although not specifically named, there were a number of churches, but we focus here on, on Antioch, and when we think about the work of God, God says, all right, we're going to talk about Paul's missionary journeys, but before we talk about the journeys, we have to understand that uh, the, the focus of the work or what set in motion the great missionary movement was set in motion in a church a local church in Antioch and I believe that God anytime he's going to set in motion a great work it's always going to be in the church now if the work of God is going to advance God's way and that's what I'm saying God's way it is going to advance in a local church. So we find a local congregation, we see the institution of the local church, but then the Bible gives us uh, the insight into the local church. Now, there are several things that are said to us in verse 1. 
Now there were in the church that was in Antioch, here it is, certain prophets and teachers. Now, what was, here's, we know what the church is, it's a local congregation in Antioch, but what was in the church? What do we see going on in the church? Uh, uh, what insight is given to us as to the activity of the church or what went on in the church? And we are told here that there were prophets and teachers. What are those? Well, prophets, the word prophet is a combination of two words. There's the pro and then fet. The word pro means in front of and fet means to show to make known, to speak, to say, to affirm. So a prophet, in the most basic sense, is a prophet is one who stands in front of people and shows or makes something known. Well, we still do that today. Amen? Somebody stands up, uh, and they, in front of others, and they show, they make something known, they speak, they say, they affirm certain things, and that's what we find here at the church of Antioch. We not only find prophets, but he also says teachers. Now, teacher means an instructor. That's all that is. And so this is someone who causes others to learn by teaching them. So, what we learn really early on, what goes on inside the church, the Bible says there are prophets and teachers. Another thing we find, if you read through verse 2, 3, and 4, they prayed. Now, that seems to be an evident pattern through the book of Acts. There are two primary activities in the church. Preaching and teaching, and praying. The primary two activities of the church throughout the book of Acts. Uh, did they do other things? Certainly they did other things, but that's the main uh, work of the church. We see that even early on uh, when the first uh, deacons were elected, uh, they, they elected deacons to help with the daily ministration so that the apostles could give themselves continually uh, to uh, the study of the word and to the preaching uh, and to the praying. And so here we find the, some insight into the local church and you say, well, pastor, what else went on in there? Well, that's all the Bible tells us. Now, did they do other things? They certainly did many other things, but this is what the Bible tells us they did. That's the insight into the church. That means that if it's, that is the emphasis throughout the book of Acts, should it, should it not be the emphasis of churches in the 21st century? The preaching and teaching and prayer. And may the Lord help us to make that a priority in our church. So we see the institution in the local church, the insight into the local church, but also thirdly, we see the individuals of the local church. Notice the Bible says there were certain prophets and teachers, and here's the list. As Barnabas. Now the word as lets us know that there were much more than that, but this is a sample of those who were in the church. As Barnabas and Simeon uh, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Now again, the word as here lets us know that these were some of the men who were prophets and teachers in the church. There were probably, most likely, others, but Scripture gives us an example or a, a sampling of those men. But what does the sample show us? That, that's really what I want to know. Why these men? Why not other men? There were other men. Why these? Well, Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menaean, and Saul. Well, little details are given to us about them throughout the book of Acts. For example, Barnabas, we know in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, was a Levite. 
Remember, he was the one that sold his possession of the land. Now, it's interesting because you think a Levite and land, that doesn't go together. Remember, the Levites were not supposed to own land. So somewhere along the line, Barnabas had uh, probably, for personal benefit, had bought a piece of land, although being a Levite, he should not have, have a piece of land, but he sold it and laid it down at the apostles' feet. We also know that when uh, you remember... Um, uh, Barnabas was sent out of when uh, a group had been assembled in Antioch, the church of Jerusalem sent out Barnabas to teach them and instruct them. You remember it was also Barnabas who when Paul wanted to join the believers in Jerusalem, Barnabas came alongside Saul and brought them to the church. He says, no, he's been preaching Christ. Remember, he had been persecuting the church, and so they thought to themselves, now this is a trick. This is, this is a lie. But Barnabas was the one that came around Saul and brought him into the church in Jerusalem. Uh, so that's Barnabas. Uh, let's say the background is he's a Levite by descent. Then we have Simeon called Niger. Now there is no other name. Now we have the name Simeon in the Bible. But not Simeon uh, that was called Niger in the scripture. So the word uh, Niger means black. This was either a, a name given him because of his complexion or because of his hair. And uh, no doubt he had a different nationality than being a Syrian or uh, being an Israel. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene. Well, Cyrene is located in northern Africa on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, just west of Egypt. What is he doing in Syria and Antioch? Well, you remember in chapter 11, verse 20, and some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. So probably uh, Lucius was one of the original men who had been in Antioch preaching the Lord Jesus Christ because he was a Cyrene. Uh, then we uh, even, by the way, uh, Paul mentions him in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 21, as being a, um, I think it was a fellow helper or a work fellow uh, or a kinsman. Uh, then we have Menaeum. Uh, Menaeum, the Bible says, Menaeum was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So here there is a number of possibilities that expression means brought up. He could have grown up as a child around Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, he could also have been taught at the same school or have been taught by the same tutor or teacher. It is also possible that they were close companions and friends in their childhood. But whatever the case, it is clear that Menaean uh, and Herod the Tetrarch went two different directions. But the point is, Menaeum was probably very well educated in all things Roman. Then we have Saul, and, and we know Saul. We've spent a lot of time studying about Saul, but remember, he was the one that at the death of Stephen, he was consenting to his death. He made havoc of the church. He gives his own testimony in, cha in Philippians chapter 3, how he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, an Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church. When it came to the law, he thought himself to be blameless. And so I'm looking at all these men, I'm saying, what a group. You see, the highlights that these, uh, uh, the, this highlights that men, the men of the church, were from different countries and different backgrounds. Uh, they all had a different story. They grew up in different circumstances and in different cultures. Yet, they all were serving God in the church. 
You see, Scripture does not emphasize these men's differences because of the importance of their differences. Scripture highlights these men because despite their physical, cultural, and religious differences, they all had a common identity in Christ. And that's the wonderful thing about the church. We can all have different stories, different backgrounds, probably different cultures, but we are all one in Christ. We have unity and acceptance and a commonality in Christ. And by the way, that is our greatest identity. It is Christ. Not our culture, not our background, although those things are wonderful, but our greatest identity is in Christ. That'll preach in today's society. Amen? Amen. They were serving together in the church at Antioch. So this is, and look, this, these are, that's what we find. We find a local congregation. We find the institution of the local church. We find insight into the church. They preached and taught and prayed. And we find the individuals of the local church. But secondly, not only do we see, uh, we find a local congregation, but secondly, we find a living congregation. Notice verse 2. As they, so these men, and with a combination of all the other ones, because these are just some of the men that were there, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. You see... I call this here a living congregation because it's not a dead congregation. That congregation is alive. They are actively doing something. But what makes a congregation alive? Well, a living congregation is a congregation in which the Holy Ghost is operating. That's a living congregation. That's what we find here in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. This is a place where believers are sensitive to the prompting and to the leading of the Holy Ghost. And that, my friend, is a church that's alive. That's a living church. You say, what makes a church alive today? Well, it's not men. It's the Holy Ghost who works in men. Now, uh, let's think about uh, a number of things here that we find in verse number 2. Uh, when we think about a living congregation, what does that mean? Well, first of all, if, you're going, if we're going to have a living congregation, what do we need to find? First of all, we need to find a God-centered ministry perspective. A God-centered ministry perspective. You notice verse 2, he says, As they ministered to the who? Lord. Now, now, I'm thinking, okay, well, ministry, you're, you're ministering to people, right? You're doing this over here, and uh, you have nursery workers, and you have uh, ushers, and you have greeters, and you have those who go out and knock on doors, those who visit uh, new move-ins, those who teach, those who disciple. You have all kinds of things going on, uh, but yet the, the appropriate thing to say about that church was not as they ministered in their teaching, it is as they ministered to the Lord. So what we find here is a God-centered ministry perspective. In other words, they weren't doing what they did for men. They did what they did for God. In other words, their ministry, although, what were they doing? Prophets and teachers, what is that? Preaching and teaching. 
But they didn't do it for men. They did it for God. Their ministry was to God. In other words, in their preaching, their audience was God. They preach what they preach to please God. And you know what that also means? Not only they had the audience of one, but also their reward is God Himself. In other words, it tells us that they're not seeking for rewards here in this life. They're ministering to the Lord. You see, the Bible doesn't even say as they ministered for the Lord. They ministered to the Lord. That means they did what they did for the audience of one, but also that they were not looking for earthly rewards in their service. They did what they did to God. So if you'd ask any of these men, uh, Barnabas or Simeon or Lucius or Menaeum uh, or Saul, all of these men from different backgrounds say, hey, what, why do you do what you do? Because of God. Because I want to please God. They say, well, well uh, what, what about your rewards in this, in this life? Well, it's not for this life. You see, they minister to the Lord. And so this is a God-centered ministry perspective. And again, this is not what these men say. This is what God tells us about these men in the church. God gives us insight into those who operated within the church. They were serving God. Now, ministry is people. We understand that. You're ministering to people, teaching people, helping people. In the nursery, controlling people. <laughs> Little people. It's people, right? All ministry has to do with people. Well, it's not really, people is not the focus. God is. Now, why is that so important and valuable? Well, here's the problem is that, you know, people sometimes comes with people difficulties. That's just the reality of people. And if, if, if the focus is people, as soon as there's difficulties, and you quit. But if it's for God, it doesn't matter if there's difficulties, you keep serving God. Why? Because your service is not for people, it's to God. And that's where the focus of a ministry needs to be. That's what made that congregation a living congregation. Because if you serve people for the sake of people, you're going to wither and die. And you're going to find it's not worth it. But if you do what you do for God, it's always worth it. Why? Because you're not looking at the result. You're looking at obeying the Lord and glorifying God. See, so a living congregation, we find a God-centered ministry perspective. Then we keep reading, and the Bible says here, uh, notice, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. So here we find a continuation of a twofold ministry. We find the continuation of a twofold ministry. What's that twofold ministry? Well, notice, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now, what we read in verse 1, they were prophets and teachers. So when the Bible says, as they ministered, what is that? Preaching and teaching. But then it adds this, and fasted. So they ministered, preaching and teaching, and fasted. That's a twofold ministry. What I'm saying is that you don't have fasting without praying. Okay? Nobody in the Bible, and when you read fasting, it is always accompanied with prayer. In other words, it's an assumption. When you told someone, hey, we're going to fast, that means we're going to deprive ourselves of food, and we're going to pray. 
The whole idea is not about being deprived of food, but it's about replacing a physical activity with a spiritual activity. Depriving yourself of food is not a spiritual activity, but prayer is. You see, people deprive themselves of food all the time to lose weight. That's not a spiritual activity in and of itself. So when you read about fasting, what does that mean? They prayed. They preached and they taught and they prayed. And so that's a twofold ministry. A church that's going to be a living congregation needs to continue in this twofold ministry. And everybody needs to be engaged in it. Then we keep going and the Bible says, so th this is preparing us. They, they, they were serving God. They were doing so by prayer, fasting, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now, important, the word as is as they were continuing in this twofold activity. As this was going on, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto unto have called them. So here's the, it's a progression here. We find a God-centered ministry perspective a continuation of a twofold ministry, but then we find, th thirdly, a cooperation with the Holy Ghost. You see, the Holy Ghost, as the church is involved in this work, the Holy Ghost speaks. And by the way, aren't we grateful that the Holy Ghost speaks? He speaks to heart, to our hearts. We read the Word. We hear the teaching of God's Word. We hear the preaching of God's Word. And the Spirit of God is speaking to us. And here the Spirit of God says, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And so here, by the way, verse 3 says, When they, the church, had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they, the church, sent them away, verse 4, verse four. so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. What does that tell us? That the church was in cooperation with the Holy Ghost. They operate in, in, in cooperation. So there's two things we find in cooperation. First of all, there was a divine call, and then there was a distinct call. So the divine call is this, that this call came from the Holy Ghost himself. He speaks and he says, I want you to do the work. I remember when, before we came uh, up here, we served uh, six years, Capital Baptist Church in Dover. And then one day we took a trip up here and um, we were just driving through the streets and the Lord began burdening my heart and we went back home and Weeks went by and I began praying about whether this was God's will for my life. And I can't remember what message Pastor Moore preached, but I remember God distinctly said, I want you to go up to Wilmington to start the church. It was a divine call and a distinct call. Divine, it came from God. Distinct, it was specific what needed to be done. And by the way, it wasn't... Me saying, oh, hey, Pastor Moore, I, uh, God wants me to do this, so I, I'm leaving. I went to him and I said, I believe this is what God wants me to do. What do you think? Do you think I'm ready and do you think this is God's timing? And he said, yes. Well, he said, first let me pray about it, but eventually he came back and said, yes. And the church voted to send me up here. What is that? That's what we find here in Acts. 
the church cooperating with the Holy Ghost. So there's two things. It's a divine call, but a distinct call. A call that came from God, but a call that was recognized by the church. Where the church said, yeah, here it is. So we find here cooperation with the Holy Ghost. It was a divine call by God, and it was a distinct call for the work, a specific work. And notice he's, the, 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 the Holy Ghost said, separate me. So what does that mean? Well, Paul and Barnabas would be taken out of the congregation to go and travel. By the way, they come back, but you're going to draw a line and you're going to step and now you're going to send and go do the work that you're called to do. And so that is a distinct call. The Spirit of God works in our lives, but you know how He works? He gives us often a distinct calling and He tells us what He wants us to do. And we must do it. You see, that's what makes a church alive. What makes a church alive is not how lively the music is. What makes a church alive is not all the activity that goes on and the uh, attraction parts and the bounce houses and all those things are, are great and wonderful, but that's not what makes a church alive. What makes a church alive is when the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to hearts and actively moving by divine call and a distinct call in our hearts and we say the, and we cooperate with the Holy Ghost and we say, God, that's what you want to do. We will do it. We will advance with God. You see, God is advancing. We just have to get on the same page with God and we have to advance with Him. So, we find a God-centered ministry perspective, a continuation of a twofold ministry, a cooperation with the Holy Ghost. But lastly, we find a clear understanding of God's work. Notice, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, verse 2, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I mentioned early on, he doesn't say what the work is. But when he says the work, it seems that they know what that means. Now remember, God, when he called uh, Paul, go back to Acts 9. <clears throat> you remember after he had been blind for a certain amount of days, uh, God moved in the heart of Ananias to go and speak to, to Saul while he was blind to restore his sight. Uh, if you notice um, verse 12 of Acts 9, uh, well, the Lord said, verse 11, unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done in the, uh, to the saints at Jerusalem, and there hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, and putting his hands on, on, him, uh, um, on him said, uh, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto me, 
uh, unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive uh, thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. Now here, and I is going to share with him, Paul recounts that later in Acts 26. He's going to share with uh, Saul what God has called him to do. What is that? To be a light to the Gentiles. And when Saul, uh, Paul stands before King Agrippa, he's going to say, that's what God called me to do. Now it's interesting that in Acts chapter 9, it didn't happen then. He was with the disciples of the church at Damascus. Then he tried to join the believers at the church of Jerusalem. He was there for some time. Then when Barnabas comes to get him to help with the church of Antioch, he is back in Tarsus. But he is always in the church. Called to be a light to the Gentiles. But the implementation of that calling didn't happen until here in Acts chapter 13. After many years. And so we find here, what, what was the, the work? Well, to be a light to the Gentiles and to follow the teaching of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus Christ said before His ascension. He says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now we ask ourselves, okay, that, that's the, the, the gospel, the baptizing, the teaching. How does that take place? It takes place through church planting. Church planting. Uh, when you read in chapter 14, this is the implementation of the work. Chapter 14, verse 21. Acts 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, that's preaching the gospel, and had taught many, teaching them, they return again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church. So you see, preaching the gospel in the city, teaching them the things that Christ taught them, confirming and exhorting them, that's strengthening them, that happens, by the way, with continued teaching and preaching. But then, there's the ordaining, they ordained elders in every church. How is the work of God accomplished today? By the establishment of of New Testament local churches. That's how the work of God happens. Where do you baptize people? Individuals don't baptize people. Churches baptize people. And so we find here a clear understanding of God's work. And I'm not going to spend time here because we're going to revisit that and talk about the details of that. But we find a clear understanding of God's work. That's what we see in a living congregation. God-centered ministry perspective, continuing in a twofold ministry, preaching, teaching, and prayer, cooperating with the Holy Ghost, and a clear understanding of God's work. That is what makes a church alive. And there's one last thing we find. So we find here in Antioch not only a local congregation, a living congregation, but thirdly, we find a launching congregation. You see what happens in verse 3? And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now, the they, who is the they? Well, obviously, Paul and Barnabas are the recipients of having their hands laid on. But when we read at the end of Acts chapter 14, 
Who do they gather together to hear what God has done? The church. The they is the church. Everybody in the church was involved in this. When they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed into Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So notice here, here's the steps, and, and, and we're done here. They prayed for them. That's what we find. When they had fasted and prayed, they prayed for them, they fasted with them. Now, let's, I mentioned fasting already, but we already noted that's the you know, prayer fasting. It's a, the part of the twofold ministry of the church. Why do they keep doing that? Fasting. What, 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 what's it up? Well, fasting is you're depriving yourself of physical sustenance because you believe there's something that is more important than physical bread. Well, what is that in, what's, what's in Acts chapter 13? The work of God. To them, the work of God was more important than physical bread. It shows a priority in their lives. They prayed and they fasted. Notice the Bible says, when they had fasted and prayed. So, I would imagine that they would say, alright, the Holy Spirit has spoken, not only to Paul and Barnabas, to the church, that it's time for uh, for Barnabas and Saul to launch out. God has a work to do. And so we're going to gather together and we're going to pray and fast. Why? Because this is a great thing. This is the work of God. This, this is not just anything going on in the world. This is the greatest thing that could be going on in the world today. And by the way, the work of God is still today the greatest thing that is going on in the world. I know all the things that are going on around us, but God's work is the greatest thing going on. And so we have to see what is our level of dedication and uh, a disposition towards the greatest thing going on in the world. I think the church at that time, uh, their disposition was clear. They prayed and they fasted. Notice, they laid their hands on them. Now, what does that mean? Well, people refer to this as ordination. They ordained elders in every church later, laid their hands on them. That's found in uh, 1 Timothy. And so you look at throughout uh, those expressions, but what does that mean? Because they were already teaching and preaching in the church. They had, probably had already had, had their uh, had hands laid on them already. So, so what does that mean? Well, it, it's, it's a new commission. They're going to do something that they haven't done yet. Now, they've been in the church of Antioch. They've been teaching, pray, uh, preaching, praying, fasting, doing all those things that they're supposed to do in the church. Uh, but now, uh, we find here that there's something else that God wants them to do. And the church recognizes the importance of the moment. And so they're going to lay their hands on them. So the idea of laying hands means we're sending you out, but we're going with you. We're going with you. This is a church affair. It's not a Paul and Barnabas affair. It's a church affair. And we're all engaged together in that. All of us together. And so the idea of putting your hands on someone is uh, trying to impart grace, saying we're going with you, we're supporting you, we're wanting to do the work with you. But 
God did not call every single person in Antioch to go. He just called Paul and Barnabas. But the church was all engaged in that. Here is a new commission. And by the way, they didn't see this as a task for Paul and Barnabas. They saw that as a task for all of them. And then, so they prayed, they fasted, they prayed for them, they fasted with them, they laid their hands on them, and then the Bible says, they sent them. Verse 3, they sent them away, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So what do we find? We find a, in Antioch, we find a local congregation made up of people from different backgrounds, different cultures. We find a living congregation where the church is operating in cooperation with the Holy Ghost. And ultimately, what does that mean? We find a launching congregation, a congregation that is sending out for the benefit of God's work. I would imagine that Paul and Barnabas were pretty good resources in the church. Would you think? I would think so. And yet, it seems to me, and there's no levels, but it seems to me that God says, all right, I want to take the two men who have been the most instrumental in seeing the church in Antioch started, and I want to launch them out. And the church could have said, ah, no. We, we, We need to build a kingdom here in Antioch. No. We need to launch out. You see, a local church has a vision in cooperation with the Holy Ghost to launch out and to keep moving forward. So may the Lord help us concerning those truths as we think about separated for the work. We have to all ourselves ask ourselves the question, are we willing to be involved in the work? Are we preparing ourselves for the work of God? Are we sensitive to the Spirit of God? Are we working in cooperation with the Holy Ghost? Are we launching out? You see, when we think about all that we try to do in the church, there's a wonderful aspect of the the teaching and the preaching. But often where there is resistance that I found is is the idea of of launching and doing something that that may, may put us in an uncomfortable position. We like Saul and Barnabas. We do. But let's launch out. Why? Because God knows what He's doing. God knows what He's doing. So let's ask the Lord to help us here that what we find in Antioch, we would find in the first century, we would find the same thing in Wilmington, Delaware at First A Baptist Church.